This episode is sponsored by Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management, experienced wealth managers who go above and beyond to guide and support you. CanDo is more than just an attitude. It's navigating today for a brighter tomorrow. Visit CanDoWealth.com. Hello and welcome to Coffee House Shots, the Spectator's Daily Politics Podcast. I'm Natasha Froze and I'm joined by Kate Andrews and James Heal. Well, Kate is with us today because this morning we learned that the UK went into a recession last year. Kate, it's slightly a grey area. Could you explain the figures? So the UK went into a technical recession last year. A technical recession and a recession, arguably the same thing, but it is important to give some context to what's happening. So uh, in the third quarter of last year, we discovered that the UK contracted by 0.1%. And this morning we learned that in the fourth quarter, between October and December, the economy overall contracted by 0.3%. Um, Now, the reason we're saying the word technical is because the definition of recession is two consecutive quarters of negative growth. So looking at this recession, we can note that if there had been a 0.1 percentage difference in the third quarter, we wouldn't have met the technical definition of recession. And it's important to break this down and to debate the definition and, and how helpful it is when understanding what's happening in the economy. But what facts aren't going to change is that this is incredibly politically difficult for the government. And I do think it reaffirms a lot of what people have been feeling. People have been feeling, of course, worse off because of the huge inflation crisis that we've had. And in addition to that, the economy just hasn't been growing. So the prosperity that you might get from making other reforms, we just haven't seen. And I think this increases the political headache for the government because the line for some months now has been, you are going to be better off. Things are getting better. Look at these taxes cuts. But of course, we know the tax cuts we saw in the autumn, while substantial, did not change at all the overall tax burden. And now we learned that the economy last year went into recession. Um, Things could be looking up quite quickly. The irony of all this is that we may well be coming out of recession as we're learning we went into one. Uh, The forecasts from independent Groups like the CEBR from Capital Economics think that we're going to see positive growth in Q1 this year. There are a lot of economic indicators that point in that direction. Actually, in addition to the data we got this morning about Q4, we also just got December's GDP figures on their own. And we discovered that in areas like construction, um, whilst they contracted in those three months, in December they actually grew, the sector actually grew. So, you know, there, there are good reasons to think that we are coming out on the other side with what might be an incredibly mild, very shallow recession. But this is tricky for a government that not only promised to have inflation, but promised to grow the economy at the start of last year. It was one of their five major pledges. Indeed, I would say the the roots, the fundamental cell of Rishi Sunak's premiership has been, we're going to be better off. It's going to take a bit of pain, but we're going to be better off. So the fact that it was the second half of the year that the UK ran in, went into recession is is really challenging. Why did they promise to have inflation and grow the economy at the same time? Uh, Chancellor Jeremy Hunt's defense this morning is, well, we had to have inflation. That means we had to take heat out of the economy. Interest rates set by the Bank of England, not set by the government, had to go up. That's all true. But then why did you promise to grow the economy? Those measures are deliberately designed to take heat out of the economy. They, They in many ways set themselves up for this kind of big disappointment. And... These figures could be revised, I should say. They can be revised upwards, downwards. The figures for Q4 are uh, will be revised. They're provisional. But 
they'd have to be quite lucky to get a revision that actually took us out of the technical definition of recession because it was a 0.3% contraction. And this makes it more likely that for the rest of the year, you are going to hear the word Tory and the word recession in the same sentence, not just from the Labour Party, but from a lot of people over and over and over again. And they're going to be on the defensive having to explain why that happened. And James, Labour have been taking advantage of this this morning, haven't they? Yes, really, it's been the Labour Party occupying the main political space in both senses, because there was a very hurriedly organised press conference where Rachel Reeves basically seized the moment to try and really pin this on Rishi Sunak. Uh, and I think that says a lot about the reaction today, which the government's really not more money with places to be seen, whereas it's Labour trying to make all the money on this. Coming, of course, only a few days after that £28 billion debacle. So there's a degree of audaciousness, but it's important, I think, to try and get on the front foot with all of it. And I think what we're really seeing is going to be a lot of kind of points going that sort of about 10 years ago, which is when every single quarter, Kate will remember, was obsessed over by the opposition and government over whether there was a technical recession or not. And, you know, the Moody's ratings, the Standard & Poor ratings, the UK economy being downgraded was a huge thing. We're seeing a return to that kind of thing uh, because, frankly, the, there's so little kind of political ideology being fought over. It's very much more of a managerial approach. I, I do think, though, that in a, some sense that this isn't a huge surprise. Frank Luntz, the pollster, likes to say that people, you know, in the street don't call it, you know, recession. They just feel a recession before, even if the technical figures don't point to that. And I think that really it's what we've known previously, which is that it, a lot of people will be feeling poorer this past year or so. And that, of course, makes it much more difficult every time Rishi Sunak tries to go out there and talk about being back to square one. A lot of people would be happy, I think, probably to return to the kind of pre-2008, um, you know, looking at all of that um, and what was quite striking in some of the Labour attacks is the way in which they're trying to say it's the Tories taking us back to square one etc so really feeling uh, confident to, to kind of use their lines against them and try and as the rich reef say today make the economy the key battleground next time and they think if they can fight on that they can win on that. And Kate, when it comes to Jeremy Hunt, he doesn't have as much money as he might have thought for tax cuts now, does he? It's a tough week for the Treasury because you have this news of the recession and you have several papers reporting this afternoon that Jeremy Hunt has been given the update from the Office of Budget Responsibility about how much fiscal headroom he will have when it, for, for cutting taxes in a few weeks' time in his March budget and the news has not been good. Um, it's expected that that number is going to be significantly lower, potentially even half of what was originally Assumed, And if you keep in mind that to take a P off income tax, you're looking at six, seven billion pounds for every P you want to take off. That that money adds up very quickly. Uh, And you have had weeks now of Rishi Sunak and Jeremy Hunt promising tax cuts in the papers, on the airwaves. Jeremy Hunt's tried to roll that back in the last week. Rishi Sunak has still been going strong. He did an interview with The Times last week talking about tax cuts. And so there are two questions here. Number one is what can they actually deliver that's going to be substantial? In my opinion, in order for them to change the narrative on tax, the actual overall tax burden will have to be going down after the March budget. It cannot be like the autumn statement where they were sending out tweets, we're cutting tax, it's what we do, and then everyone was like, well, actually, the tax burden's still on track for a post-war high. They're going to actually have to change the trajectory of the tax burden. That's going to be tricky. It's probably going to involve more spending cuts um, scheduled for after the next general election, which is a trap for whoever ends up in power. But the other really big question is, well, who brought the tax burden to the post-war high? Can this still really be blamed on every prime minister that came before? Can it be blamed on every government that came before? Can it completely be blamed on COVID spending? That's the line the government wants to take. But of course, we know this government's been keen to spend money too on the NHS, on more free childcare. Free is in quotes there. 
they're going to have to do a little bit of introspective work here because uh, this idea that, uh, you know, you even have Jeremy Hunt this morning going on the airwaves saying, look at the U.S., look at other countries where they have a lighter tax burden. That's what makes an economy thrive in light of the recession. Well, what's been happening during this government? Where is the U.K. at with its tax burden? What was contributed by the politicians who are currently in charge? Can they change that narrative? Because that is a... That is sort of a, a long-standing issue that I'm not convinced you can change with just one budget. And just briefly, James, you wrote your politics column about Rishi on the road, and it's something you just mentioned in your first answer. But I wonder, why have they gone for this strategy to keep him out on the road, meeting as many people as possible? Obviously, when you compare it to Theresa May, they were keen to shield her from so many angry voters. Voters are in a similar headspace in that with the recession, they're going to be even more angry. What's behind this strategy? At the beginning of that 2017 election campaign, lots of people thought, Theresa May was incredibly popular and they thought she was like a new iron lady. Uh, there was going to be a presidential campaign around that. That obviously sort of came off the road, came off the wheels, came off further down the track when the actual campaign started. I think with Rishi Sunak's team, they, they look at where the Conservative Party ratings are. Uh, Rishi Sunak is probably uh, slightly more popular. I mean, you can talk about different polls, etc., but it's traditionally been more popular. Um, and I think that he's a good salesman to go out there and kind of explain what they're doing. And they have this idea of the mushroom effect whereby, you know, if you meet a thousand people a week and they tell 10 people about it, you put it on social media, Snapchat, etc., cetera, uh, Instagram, Twitter, you then get sort of, that becomes then 10,000 people. And I think that's that's what their sort of aim is when they go out to these busy marketplaces, cafes, etc. But I think it's partly a little bit of the sort of Blair masochist strategy of 2005 to make sure that, you know, people can sort of, Sort of event themselves and you can understand and take that on board and also try and hone your attacks on the Labour Party and use that information you're getting from with voters. I think also it's a reflection that a lot of the government business now can be done remotely. There's time blocked off in Sunak's diary, different parts of the day when he's doing meetings, etc. That's one of the things that's going undetected right now. I think the Cabinet Office is doing a lot of interesting stuff on kind of AI and uh, kind of blow the bonnet in terms of the mach- machinery of government and rewiring of Whitehall, etc. So there's that sense that he can do Mondays, Thursdays, Fridays after PMQs on a Wednesday, go out and go across the country. And I suppose it's really that there's no obvious solution for the Conservatives. Conservatives tend to not be so popular as a party at elections. They tend to run on the economy, they tend to run on law and order, and they tend to run on a quite presidential style. So why wouldn't they do that? And of course, the key framing in this contest, Natasha, isn't between Sunak and some ideal prime minister. It's Sunak versus Starmer. And so I think a lot of the number 10 CCHQ lot don't think much of Starmer as a performer. I think he's quite robotic. I think that when it comes to debates, they'll do pretty well. Uh, and therefore, they're hoping to kind of frame this as a binary choice rather than sort of a referendum on Tory 14 years of failure in the words of Labour. Thank you, James. Thank you, Kate. And thanks for listening.